You know, music comes to us by the gift of God. And it is amazing that music, when done right, when it reflects the truths that we see in the Bible, um, can have an amazingly therapeutic effect on our soul and uh, can remind us what is really important and remind us that whether things are going well or when things are hard, God is always worth the glory. And we always want to be able to look up and say, I trust in the Lord and his purposes. And if this is what it takes in my life to be able to bring him glory, then bring it on. And that's not always an easy thing to say, um, but it is something that uh, we ought to remind ourselves often um, because the Bible does not promise that this world is going to be where we find heaven. Heaven is for the future. Heaven is going to be in the next state. It's going to be after the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is where our hope truly is. That is truly what we look forward to, not the treasures and the empty promises of this world and this age. And it's with that I think about this passage this morning as we continue in the book of Ephesians. Um, I've been going through Ephesians, and um, obviously in this passage we've been going through uh, this series called Growing Together in Christ. Um, We're in the midst of uh, Ephesians chapter 4 really from verse 1 all the way to verse 16, but in particular, these verses from 11 through 16 really are at the heart of the motto for this church, growing together in Christ. Um, I've said this before, but there are a lot of false views in the world about what the church is for. And unfortunately, most people come to the church or come to church service for all the wrong reasons. Um, There is a lot of people that will come in order to be entertained, A lot of people will come in order to feel better about themselves. In fact, in the men's study that we just had yesterday, um, I told the men, I I don't know if this is going to be a shock to any of you, um, but my goal up here is not to make you feel better about yourselves. My goal is to proclaim the word of God. And if you leave here feeling better about God, then I've done my job. If you leave here simply feeling better about yourself, then I need to re-examine what it was I preached. Because that's not what the Bible is designed to do. The Bible is designed to give us a high view of God and a low view of man. Let me say that again. The Bible is designed to give us a low view of man and a high view of God. The higher our view of God, the lower our view of man should be. And that includes ourselves. And so for any worship service, if you leave that service with the conviction that God has been exalted, that is the definition of a successful worship service. That is the purpose of what we call worship. It's not to come here to feel better about yourselves. It's not here for me to boost your self-esteem. You know, though certainly as we go through the word, when the word is successfully proclaimed, you will find encouragement in God's words. But you will find encouragement in a way that the world does not find encouragement. It's just as Jesus said, peace I give to you, but not like the world. The peace of God is different from the world. And so it's a reminder that as non-believers, when they hear the word of God, they do not have the Holy Spirit working within them. They do not have the illumination of the Spirit to help understand the truths of Scripture. And so when unbelievers come and they are not satisfied with the service, they may very well decide to go. But the church service, the whole definition of the church, is the body of Christ. That means those who are in Christ, those who proclaim Christ. And so my job Sunday after Sunday is to feed you as those who belong in Christ. 
And for those who end up visiting, I would hope that the Lord would use that message to work on their hearts. But visitors, when they come here, they need to be able to see that our comfort is not the same way that the world seeks comfort. Our peace is not on the account of what the world finds in peace. Our peace is supernatural. Our peace surpasses all comprehension. Our peace is only through Christ and the wisdom given to us through his word. And so as we've been going through Ephesians chapter 4 for the first 16 verses, you remember that the first three chapters of Ephesians has been theological. Paul has been sharing the gospel. He has been exalting God. He has been praising God, which is exactly what our response should be Sunday after Sunday when we meet together. Praising and exalting God for all the great works that he has done on our account. Not on the basis of anything that we have done to deserve it, but because of his love and his grace that was poured out upon us. And then chapter 4, when we get into chapter 4, verse 1, we see right there in the first verse the central command of all of the book of Ephesians. Which is to walk in a manner worthy of the calling by which you have been called. I can't think of any more important commandment than that. Once you understand you've been saved, once you understand you've been called by God, once you understand the glories and the riches that await you, the the next question ought to be, what can we do to glorify God in this world? And that is to walk in a manner worthy of the calling by which you have been called. And it's no coincidence, it's not not by, by any other reason that Paul starts off here focusing first on church unity. That is not coincidental because your walk in Christ starts with the church. There is no such thing as a Christian who walks apart from the church. And you'll see that a little bit this morning as we go through our verses for this morning. And even for um, the kids who are here, I know that you kids, you know, you're you go to school during the week and church is sometimes a place where you can go and you can kind of tune off your your mind. But that's not what you should be doing. Because while you go to school in order to learn, you go to school in order to grow in your understanding and your thinking of the ways of the world, you come to church to grow in your understanding of the ways of God. And that's why we have this time together. That's why we have our adult Sunday school morning service. That's why we have our evening service. That's why we meet during the week. We need to continue growing in the knowledge of the Son of God and of his will and, and his word. And so that central command was to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And his opening emphasis is upon unity. You see that in verse 3, to be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And then from verses 4 to 6, were all those realities that we all share in common if you're in Christ. We, we all share these in common. One body, one spirit, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And then we were introduced, starting in verse 7, to the gifts that Christ has given to the church. So from verses 7 through 10, we learn that Jesus Christ, he not only ascended on high to the right hand of God the Father. After his, after his crucifixion, after his death, he was resurrected. And after his resurrection, he ascended all the way up to heaven to the highest point possible, to the right hand. But as he did that, he also gave gifts to the church. He gave gifts to each and every one of you who are in Christ. And that gift is intended to build up the body of Christ. And then Paul's going to get into very specific gifts given to the church, starting in verse 11. 
And I'm going to refer back to these three verses but when we get to our main text. But in verse 11, we see that he gave some men as apostles, some men as prophets, some men as evangelists, and some men as pastors and teachers. And as I had mentioned before, the apostles and the prophets, they were there in the initial church age to lay the foundation of the church. But it is my belief that they do not operate any longer. The Lord may bring prophets or even an apostle sometime in the future, but I think if he does, it's going to be patently clear who they are. And certainly we can always measure them by the truth of God's word. Because a prophet of God will never contradict what the word of God says. But these positions that were given, these apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, what was it for? Well, it was right there in verse 12. It's for the equipping of the saints. And who are the saints? That's right. It's all of you. So these positions and all these positions, what they share in common is that they're all teaching. They're all proclamation kind of positions. They're meant to feed the body of Christ. And so here in verse 12, they are to equip the saints for the work of service. And I said last time that the word service, that's the same word that we get ministry or minister. In the Greek, it's the same word. So all of you are in many ways ministers. You are called to ministry. It may not be the exact same way that I've been called, but you've been called to ministry to serve one another, to help build one another up. And in fact, at the end of verse 12, that's the point. You are called for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. And that is the church. That's exactly what the church is. It's the body of Christ. And so you've been called to serve one another. And by serving one another, you help build up the body. And then verse 13 gave us the goal of that. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. And the faith is talking about what we believe. But it's not only the unity of the faith, but it's also of the knowledge of the Son of God. That we are growing in our knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that as we seek to become more and more like Jesus Christ, it starts with our knowledge of who he is, what he did, and what he wants from us. Without that, we don't know how to grow into the image of Christ. But we also saw that we are to grow to a mature man. Now that's singular. Notice that mature man is singular, but yet we are plural. But this is talking about the body of Christ, and it's not just limited to the men of the church. It's everyone. Together as the church, we are growing into a mature man. And the end of verse 13 ends with to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And that's just a way of saying that we are to grow into the image of Christ as his body. We are to grow to the standard that that Jesus Christ himself has set, that the body of Christ is meant to accurately portray the head of Christ. That we are the, the arms and the legs and we do the will of God here upon earth. We represent Jesus Christ here upon earth. And that brings us to our passage for this morning from verses 14 through 16. Verse 14, we read, As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. 
Now for this morning's message, you can see it in the bulletin. It's growing together in Christ part four. And our text is going to be those three verses that I just read. Ephesians chapter four, verses 14 through 16. But I have made some changes to the purpose. So I want you to see this purpose and make that correction in your bulletin. If you're taking notes, the purpose that I'd like you to write down is to show what a church growing in Christ ought to look like for every believer. It is to show what a church growing in Christ ought to look like for every believer. And this should be a message that is important to each and every one of you. Because the whole reason why we go to church, the whole reason why you come on Sundays, should be for the exact reasons that I'm about to mention this morning. It is the exact reasons why Jesus Christ gave gifted men to the church to equip you for the work of service to the building up of the body. This here will show you what a church growing in Christ looks like so that you can have it in your mind what we need to be aiming for as we look to serve one another. And my outline is going to be the three defining marks of a church devoted to growing in Christ that every believer needs to own. So these truths I'm about to share, these are truths that you need to own. You need to own these truths because we are here to serve one another, everyone. And even for the kids who are here, that's, that's the example that you want to be able to follow. You're not simply here for yourself. You're not simply here to please your parents, but you're here to learn the example of what it means to serve one another for the benefit of the church. And so that's our goal this morning. And as we go back into Ephesians 4, 1 through 11, my first point is to be strong in the truth. These are three defining marks of a church devoted to growing in Christ that every believer needs to own, needs to own. The first being to be strong in the truth. And when we look at verse 14, it starts off with as a result. Okay, so when we see a phrase like as a result, obviously it's building off on what Paul had just said. It's building off on something in context just prior to this passage. And he's saying as a result, and the question is, well, as a result of what? Well, when we look back at the prior passage, verses 11 through 13, the main action, the main sentence, the main, the main action going on in verses 11 through 13 shows up in verse 11. That Jesus Christ gave some men as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. So he gave these gifted men to the church. And obviously we know the rest of those three verses to equip you for the work of service to one another and to build up the body of Christ. But as a result of him giving these men to the church, we go back to verse 14. As a result, we are no longer to be children. We are no longer to be children. And for those of you who are parents and most of you, as I look out into the audience, most of you are or have um, have been um, we are no longer to be children, you would understand this, that when you raise your children, you understand that you have to be on top of everything that they learn. You need to, the younger they are, the more instruction you need to provide them with. And even when they start off the first time going into high school, the first time going to junior high or the first time leaving, you're going to have some sort of talk with them to let them know just how important it is that they stay focused on all that they're being taught. In fact, I, I even remember as a little kid, and, and I think most of you have probably done this as well, though it's a little bit different here in Imperial Valley. In Los Angeles, where there was always a concern of strangers talking to your children. I'm sure that concern is here too, right? And all of you as parents at one time have probably sat down with your child to express to him or her the importance of not trusting strangers, right? Because if you don't tell your children that, what's going to happen? They can be led astray. 
They can be deceived. They can be harmed. You know, so here, what Paul is writing is that we are no longer to be children as a result of these gifted men given to the church. What that means is that when you are first saved, when you are first saved and you're still immature in your faith, you're still immature in your understanding of the will of God, you are like a child. You are like a child and you are susceptible to the same kinds of dangers, except the dangers here are spiritual dangers. They are spiritual dangers. And it says we are no longer to be children. That is in contrast, going back once again to verses 11 through 13. Look at verse 13 when it says, until we attain, and I have underlined to a mature man. So when we are growing in maturity, we are growing together into a mature man. But when, when we are immature, we are essentially like children. And notice that when we're growing, we're growing in unity. When we're not growing, we're like a bunch of little children. Not united. In fact, the more mature you are in Christ, the more united you are with the church. The less united you are with the church, the more immature you are in Christ. That is exactly the way it works. There is no such thing as growing in Christ apart from the church. We were talking in the men's meeting yesterday, and one of the comments uh, brought up was, um, yeah, I run into a lot of people that say, you know, I'm good with Jesus. I don't go to church, but I, I read my Bible. And when I hear that, the first thought in my mind is, well, obviously you don't understand your Bible. Because if you understood your Bible, you would know that you're not good just deciding not to go to church. Because the Bible points to church. It points to us being here together. But starting going back to verse 14, we are no longer to be children. And Paul describes what this means. First, he says, tossed here and there by waves. And this is the image of a boat in the middle of a sea. Right. I mean, obviously, if you're going out to sea, you want to be on calm waters. But it's like when the disciples went out on the Sea of Galilee and Jesus was asleep. Right. And all these waves came and threw these boats back that threw their boat back and forth. And they thought they were going to die. And Paul, it may, may even be speaking from experience because on his on his journeys in his uh, one of his journeys, he actually on his way to Rome was in a boat that uh, that got shipwrecked. So this image may very well have been in his mind. And of course, for the Jew, we can go back to the book of Jonah, where Jonah was similarly in a boat while he was rebelling against God and it was being rocked to and fro. But as children, we are not to be tossed. We were no longer to be children that, that are tossed here and there by waves. In other words, instead of being tossed around, we are to be stable. We, we are to be strong. And not only that, we're not to be tossed here and there by waves, but we are not to be carried about. We are not to be carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. Paul goes into great detail, providing us with a lot of images to try to understand what this is. Every wind of doctrine. What is doctrine? Literally, it means teaching. It's, it's, what, it's what is taught. And here, when he's saying every wind of doctrine, he's not talking about true doctrine. He's not talking about what you get from the Bible. He is talking about false doctrine that people through all the ages of church history have always brought into the church and have always led people astray. In fact, I was just talking to someone this morning about um, Jehovah's Witnesses. And by the way, um, I was asked once, you know, why do you why do you bring up, you know, these false denominations? You know, why are you, you know, why are you trashing on these other denominations? I say, I'm not trashing on them. It's not certainly not my intent. 
But I bring these up as an example to you to help you understand the division between truth and error. The, the division between uh, someone who truly follows Christ and someone who has distorted the word, distorted the gospel, distorted Christ. And I may bring up names. I may bring up examples of false religions. My, my purpose is not to, not to um, make myself superior to them. I certainly am not superior to anyone. But it's to help you understand by example the contrast of truth and error. But as I was talking to someone recently about Jehovah's Witnesses, Jehovah's Witnesses, if you understand how they operate, they want to talk to people that don't know the Bible. They don't want to talk to people who they know knows the Bible. Whenever a Jehovah's Witness sits sits down with me and starts to go through the scriptures and I start to um, interact with them and start pointing to other scriptures, it doesn't take long before they often want to just leave. It's not because they want to know the truth. It's because they cannot indoctrinate me to their error. And this is what happens with a lot of people that are trying to twist and distort the scriptures. Even Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3, and I want to say verses 15 and 16, talks about how some who are untaught and unstable distort, twist and distort even the writings of the letters of Paul to their own destruction. And there are always people that are doing that. And if you think that you can live apart from the church or you think that you can live without growing in your knowledge of the word of God and that you will not be susceptible to these errors, there is a long history of mankind that suggests otherwise. Because in every place where Christianity has flourished, it didn't take more than a few generations for heresy to seep in, for faith to dissipate. And while we're kind of here in a little bit of a bubble in Imperial Valley, we're separated from San Diego, we're separated from Los Angeles, there is air creeping in here. And we need to be aware of it. And the best way to be aware of it is to know the Word of God. That's the reason why I go into such detail. You know, if, if, if you ever learned about how the police learned to spot a counterfeit bill, right? There's a lot of counterfeit money out there. You know how the police can spot a counterfeit dollar? It's not because they have studied all the counterfeits. It's because they have studied the real thing. And they have studied in a detail. They know all the details of what a real dollar bill looks like. And it's the same with you. If you are going to be protected in the spiritual war, and, and make no mistake, it is a spiritual war. Amen. If you're going to be protected in the spiritual war, you need to know the word of God. You need to continue growing in it. And as you grow in it, you will no longer be children tossed here and there by waves and doctrine. You will not be carried about by every wind of doctrine. Sorry, you you will not be thrown here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. And you will not be susceptible to the trickery of men. And this word for trickery can also be translated as craftiness. It didn't get translated as craftiness because we have another synonym after that. But it can be translated as craftiness and often talks about the craftiness of Satan himself. And though it talks about the trickery of men, I would remind you that the book of Ephesians has already told us that those who are not believers follow after the course of this world, after the prince of the power of the air. When you are not in Christ, you are being used by Satan. You know, it's just like that story of, and I I think I heard Brett bring this up, you know, you got a believer and a non-believer and Satan suddenly pops up and the non-believer hides behind the believer and say, oh, I don't want him to get me. And the believer says, he's already got you. He's coming for me. Unbelievers are already owned by Satan. And they're going to be used for his purposes. 
And don't use sincerity as, that, as the litmus test for whether they are speaking the truth or not, because I've heard many people who are absolutely heart, heart to the heart, they are sincere, and yet they are sincerely wrong. The word of God needs to be our standard. Don't let sincerity fool you. So we don't want to be thrown away, thrown to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. We don't want to be, um, we don't want to be taken captive by the trickery of men. And certainly not by craftiness and deceitful scheming. You know, when we think about scheming, the, the idea of a scheme, when you think about a scheme, it's a, it's a well laid out plan. It's a very well laid out, it's a very sophisticated, well thought through plan in order to deceive you. And we see that going on today, right now. We see that going on in the school systems. It's even happening in the universities. And so if you have kids who are going to go off to college, you need to make sure that they understand this. That the universities are not there to actually teach truth. They're there to also push forward these schemes of Satan. And as we get more and more people coming out trying to push unbiblical ideas upon us, you know, this idea, and look, I'm not trying to get political, but this is the truth of what's going on out there. People are teaching that capitalism, which is just an economic system, is racist to its core. You know, we have a party of people that absolutely hate this country. You know, my wife and I were talking about this, and she was asking, you know, why is it that they're so bitter? Why is it uh, that they, they can't even, that they, they just, they're, they're always attacking and this and that? And, and I said, look, what we're seeing right now is we, we see a certain political party that's filled with people who hate this country. They hate this country, they hate the history of this country, they hate everything about this country, and they want to completely raise it to the ground and build something completely different. And more and more, I can't even believe it, just how many people are just coming right out and say, we want, uh, we want Marxist philosophy in, you know, played out in this country. You know, and again, I'm not trying to get political here, I'm just giving you an example of what's going on in the world, and that kind of thinking is getting into the church. There are now people inside the church who are trying to teach that the teachings of Karl Marx can be used to help us understand the Bible. And there are a lot of well-meaning Christians that are falling victim to this. And this is why you need to know your scriptures. You need to be able to understand your scriptures. You need to know when they're taking something out of context. And this is why God, through his son, Jesus Christ, has gifted teachers and preachers to the church in order to teach you the word that you may better understand it and learn it. And that's why we have the Bible reading plan where you read five days a week, right? You read five days a week, you've got a couple of days to catch up, but the idea is you're going to cover the entire Bible in a year. And sure, as you read through, not everything's going to make sense. There's going to be certain sections, especially in the Old Testament, especially as you go through books like Leviticus and, and Numbers that you're going to be pulling out your hair and going, I don't get it. I don't know. I don't understand why this is here. And I would say just keep reading because the more you expose yourself to all that the Bible says, the more you're going to start to pull out of the teachings that you hear, the sermons that you hear and future readings that you do. And if you're a part of the biblical counseling teaching in the, in the evenings, you're going to be better able to really draw out the truths as you seek to apply the scriptures to your life and apply it to the lives of others. But it's a process. This doesn't happen overnight. It is not meant to be easy. I mean, that's why the Awana verse, 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent, right? Be diligent to, to present yourself as a person approved before God. It's the idea is you have to work hard. 
You have to work hard. So we don't want to be children that are just tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. So verse 14 is really emphasizing what we don't want to be like. You know, we, we want to more and more put, put behind us the childishness, the spiritual childishness of our lives and grow into maturity. We want to be able to grow that we can be able to recognize dangers on our own. You know, without needing someone always having to talk to us and lecture us and try to rescue us from these kinds of dangers. And by the way, you know, when I bring up some of these, um, the, these false denominations, my question to that individual was, well, if I didn't bring it up, would you know that there was a difference? And the response back was actually no. You know, so this is the reason why I do it. I do it to protect you guys. I do it so that you guys would know. So talking about the spiritual warfare, because this is all about spiritual warfare, um, all this uh, craftiness, all this deceitful scheming, all these winds of doctrine, these false doctrine, all these schemes that are seeking to throw you offside. This is all the spiritual war going on around you. And I've talked to a number of you that you have felt the spiritual war when you don't feel like coming to church, right? You wake up some Sunday mornings and you just want to stay home. I've talked to a number of you that have gone through that. That is the spiritual war. That that is Satan using influences of the world, wanting wanting to tell you that it's okay if you don't go this Sunday. Because that's exactly what Satan wants from you. Satan doesn't want you to know the word of God. Because the less you know about the word of God, the less useful you are for God's kingdom purposes. And so when we look back at chapter 2, verse 2, starting in verse 1, And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Prior to knowing Christ, we followed after the world and we followed after Satan. And because of that, we were called sons of disobedience. And then verse 3 Paul says, among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Everyone is involved in the spiritual war, whether they realize it or not. You either are useful for the kingdom of God, or you are not, or you're being used directly by Satan to thwart God's purposes. But we know that God's purposes can never be thwarted. And that's why it is better to be on our side than on the other side. And that's also why we need to continue sharing the gospel with those who do not believe. But not only in Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 3, but let me take you ahead to Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 12. And this is the lead-off to the armor of God. Many of you know these verses very well. Many of you children have been exposed to these verses many times. But this, the, the whole idea of wearing the armor of God is to equip you for spiritual warfare. Because in chapter 6, verse 10, Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And look what he says. And put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of who? The devil. You know, schemes are like blueprints. They're like master plans. It's like if you watch football, right? What's the job of the defensive coordinator? The job of the defensive coordinator is to try to thwart the plans of the offense. And the job of the offense is to try to thwart the plans of the defense. And they're going to study game film. They're going to look at each other's plays. And they're going to, try to, they're going to, they're going to know every little strength and weakness and tendency of different players and, and how they call plays in certain situations. And the idea is to be able to catch them off guard, the other side off guard. That's exactly what Satan is trying to do to you. His schemes are meant to catch you off guard. And he knows you even better than you know yourself. 
The only protection we have is the word of God. And that's why Paul says in verse 12, talking about the spiritual warfare, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. We don't see the spiritual forces, but they're at play. And we are either influenced by the spirit of God or we're influenced by the spirit of the world. Make sure that you are making the right choice there. But as we transition into the next verse, which is verse 15, we had just talked about being strong in the truth, being strong in the truth, being stable, be able to stand firm in the truth, which requires you to, to be here, to be continue to grow, continue to learn. But that transitions us into the next section, verse 15, where Paul's going to talk about what we are to do. Rather than being children, this is what we're to do. And the title I have here is to be loving in the truth, to be loving in the truth. And going to verse 15, Paul says this, but speaking the truth in love, speaking the truth in love. Now, this right here, this phrase right here should tell us something very important, because this is another one of these errors that people make when they come to the church or when they talk about God or Jesus Christ. They'll say Jesus is love. God is love. And indeed, Jesus is love. God is love. But he is so much more than that. And sometimes people will use this portrayal of love to say, no, 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 we don't want to confront people who are in error. We don't want to confront people who are in sin. We don't want to, I don't want to correct my brother who's, who's off disobeying God. No, what, what it says here is that love is not divided from the truth. We are to speak the truth, but to do it in love. So we're not to be cold, we're not to be calculated, we're not, we're not going around just beating people on the head with the Bible, but we're looking to apply the truths to each other, to, to our fellow saints, and to do it with a heart that loves, with a desire that loves. And it says, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Now, what does this mean? We are to grow up in all aspects into him, who is the head, even Christ? Well, this is the emphasis, once again, upon us growing. You know, it's just like the, when kids go to school, they're taking all kinds of different topics, right? They're taking different subjects. You know, they're taking arithmetic. They're taking mathematics because they need to understand how to work with numbers. They're taking reading classes because they need to be able to understand to read. They're taking history lessons. The idea is to understand what has happened before us so we don't make the same mistakes again. There's a series of classes they're being taken so that they would be well-rounded in their understanding. But then also, as parents, you not only want them to be well-rounded, you not only want them to learn as they go to school, but you want them to be socially, um, socially mature. You want them to be socially healthy. You want them to have friends. You want them to, to be able to enjoy the, the company of others and not simply be in a room just playing video games all the time. You know, you want them to be physically healthy. You want them to be growing. You want to be feeding them the right kinds of things. And so this is the same kind of idea that we are to grow in all aspects of our spiritual walk. We're to grow up in all aspects of our spiritual walk. And it's not just our knowledge of the word of God. It's also our knowledge of Jesus Christ, who we're trying to become more and more like. It's our service to one another. It's our evangelism with non-believers. It's, it's every aspect of our walk. What we are seeing here is that the purpose of Jesus Christ in giving men like preachers and teachers to the church is in order for that you would grow in all aspects 
And when it says in all aspects into him, the idea of him, him is referring to Jesus Christ, him who is the head, even Christ. That's a reminder to us that we are the body of Christ and we are to grow into a mature man as the body of Christ. Christ is our head, but we are his body and we want to be able to reflect the will of Jesus Christ in how we operate, in what we do, in what we know. And so that's the importance of us growing. We are to speak the truth in love with one another, and we are to grow up in all aspects. But for you to speak the truth, you need to know the truth. And you need to know the truth as it applies to all the various issues that people are going through, all the various struggles that people may have. You know, people are often tempted, even those who would call themselves Christians, they're often tempted to find answers outside of the Bible. They may go to psychology. They may go to philosophers. They may go to even other spiritual gurus. And when they do that, they will be led astray. You need to be able to know the scriptures so that when you are helping someone who's going through that, you can bring the scriptures to them. In fact, uh, as we talk about biblical counseling, once again, just to plug Sunday evening for biblical counseling, uh, my own mentor, Bill Shannon, he, uh, he oversees uh, the counseling practice at Grace Community Church, and he often says that preaching is bringing the Word of God to the people. Counseling is bringing the people to the Word of God. And that's what we do when we counsel each other. We bring people to the Word of God that they may be able to see how it applies to their lives. But let me show you again and go back to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. You know, when we talk about growing into, into him, into Christ, we're reminded right there in verse 13 that we are to attain to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Meaning that we're, we're to grow into the standard that Jesus Christ himself has set. We, we are to grow to, to the level of maturity that Jesus Christ himself has reached. Now, that sounds impossible. That is a lifelong task for us. We continue to do that. And as we continue to do that, the power that Jesus Christ has given us, not only through each of your individual gifts, but also the the teachers and the preachers and the evangelists within the church, it will all be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that brings us to the third section. The third section, three defining marks of of a church devoted to growing in Christ that every believer needs to own, needs to own. The first was to be strong in the truth. Second was to be loving in the truth. And the third is to be faithful in the truth, to be faithful in the truth. And we go to verse 16. It says, from whom? Well, who's it talking about? What's talking about Christ? From whom the whole body. Okay, so this is talking about from Christ, the whole body. And as we continue on, it says, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. So it's saying that Christ is also the one who provides the power to the church. Christ provides the power to the church. But here in verse 16, what it's emphasizing when it says being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. That is talking about each and every one of us within the church. That we each have a part to play within the church. Based upon the giftings that God has given you. Based upon the opportunities that God lays before you. The opportunities you have to serve one another. You know, what we see here when it says being fitted, the idea of being fitted back then when they built buildings, they didn't have mortar. Okay, mortar is what, you know, when we have bricks, we have mortar to help the the bricks stick together. 
But when they had stones, they had to make sure that the stones were, were sanded down and, and shaped to the perfect size and, and the perfect shape in order to hold together with other stones. So, so there, was a, there was a craftsmanship that was involved in preparing these stones as they were being built. And that is true for each one of you. You have been given a gift. You, you have been put into a church. You have been placed in a place where you are specially designed to be able to help serve the church. And we saw that beautifully on display last night at the Valentine's Day dinner together, where people were operating from the kitchen, where people were setting up tables, where we had people uh, providing entertainment, whatever it may be. We, we had a great time together, and we just saw a great example of how the body of Christ was just serving one another and enjoying fellowship with one another. But we're being fitted, and we're also being held together, being held together by what every joint supplies. So this idea, we're being fitted together, we're being held together. This is, this is the idea of each one of us being brought together, all right, by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. All of that is just to say that, that we as the church, each one of us have a part to play in the church. And when we work together, when we work together, we get that power from Christ to be able to do his will. When we're operating the way God has called us to operate, when we're operating according to the way Jesus Christ has willed us to operate, we are accomplishing the purpose of the church by helping us to grow. And that's what the end of verse 16 states. When we get to the end of verse 16, it says, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. In love. And by the way, that's the second time that little phrase in love has shown up. We are to speak the truth in love. That's right there in verse 15. But also the body helps build itself up in love. You know, love, as I had mentioned, has been vastly abused by, um, by American evangelicalism. You know, where we say that, uh, well, God is love and doesn't want us to be discerning, doesn't want us to confront sin, doesn't want us to do this or that. Well, the Bible tells us that love is about doing the will of God and knowing that what's best for you and what's best for your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ is to also do the will of God. And that's how we encourage each other. That's how we build one another up. And we do it with the, with the intent, with the motivation of love towards one another. Because we want to see each and every one of us growing. Now, it doesn't mean that you're going to grow to the level of me with regards to my knowledge of the scriptures or someone like Terry or Maureen or one of the many teachers that we have here at Western Avenue. Okay, but together as the church, together you remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 when he talks about, when he uses the analogy of a body, saying that, that not everyone can be the hand, not everyone can be the ears, not everyone can be the eyes. Each one of us have different roles to play. Some of you are administrative. Some of you work in the background and you do a wonderful job. Some of you during the week, you're here uh, visiting the office and doing things behind the scenes that others don't see, but I see it. You know, some of you, especially the kitchen crew, you're, you're there several hours in advance helping to prepare the food and the dishes and whatnot. People are setting up tables like they were last night, several hours in advance. You know, there's so many roles, and that's just a simple example, but there are so many ways that you can be an encouragement, encouragement to one another. And I tell you, there are many of you, I know it, there are many of you that I know personally that are going through spiritual struggles. They're going through spiritual struggles. And I've been thankful to have the opportunity to be able to sit down with uh, some of you and to be able to talk you through that and to be able to encourage you with the word of God. But as we grow, I want that to be a regular practice between all of us, that we are encouraging each other with God's truth. But we must constantly be in God's truth. 
We must be applying it to our lives. We must be hearing it. You know, sometimes when I go through passages, you might think, well, why do I need to know this? Well, well what's, you know, what, what, what does this play into my life? Well, listen, the more you know about the Bible, the more it's going to help you in the long run, even if, it, even if you don't have a use for it immediately. The Word of God is meant to be the words of life. You know, and the world today will want you to believe that truth is changing or truth is subjective, meaning people have their own truth. That's what you're going to hear people say. Well, I've got my own truth. And people even say that within the church. One of the greatest mistakes of American evangelicalism, of Christian evangelicalism here in America, is that we have placed so much emphasis upon the personal relationship with Jesus Christ that we have made the church to be unimportant. All I need is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't need the church. I don't need to be there. I can watch messages on TV. I can listen to sermons, whatnot, whatever it may be. That has been the message of American evangelicalism, and it has done much damage to the church. Because you can see right here in Ephesians, that does not line up with the purpose of Jesus Christ. And by the way, if you're sitting at home watching sermons on TBN, guess what? You're hearing a lot of false preachers. The, the, the kinds of people who are drawn to those kinds of preachers are the kinds of people that don't understand the scriptures. And so those errors just propagate themselves. But when you're here and you're in the word and you know the word, you can discern truth from error. And that includes for me, too. I mean, you can apply this to me as you hear me proclaim the word of truth. You need to be able to look at the Bible and say, well, Pastor Eki said this, but is that really true? You need to be able to hold me accountable as well. Because as someone I spoke to recently, and it's, it's, it's a shame that we're seeing so many people that are known as teachers and preachers, people who wrote books, and I'm watching them now, they're going astray. Many of them, even many that you would not have thought would go astray are starting to go astray and starting to teach things that are not biblical. And I had this conversation with Cindy Wright earlier in the week, and Cindy was like, everyone is going astray. Well, and you know what? You need to be protected in the event that I go astray. Because if I go astray, the only way you're going to know I'm going astray is going to be by your knowledge of the Word of God. And if I go astray, you need to be able to confront me and say, Pastor, that's not what the Word of God says. And if I don't listen, you need to go to the deacon and say, Deacons, something needs to be done about this. Even if it gets me in trouble. <clears throat> And even if it gets you in trouble, because really, we're here to please God, not, our, not one another, right? We're here to please God. And so the whole purpose of the church is that we come together, we are constantly fed the word of God, that we're growing in the will of God. And that within the church, we're not only growing in our knowledge and understanding, but we are working together, we are serving one another. And all this, there's been a, a great emphasis upon the church, but also the church operates together in proclaiming the gospel as well. And I've been in conversations with Gail Cheatwood and, and Brett Hauser and uh, Mel Rebick about, um, about starting up an evangelism program very soon. Because I would like us to be able to reach out into the neighborhood around Western Avenue. And certainly, if you're not nearby and you're someplace else, you can do this as well. And I know many of you are sharing the gospel. I know many of you are inviting people here to church. You know, I, I think this is going to be a good opportunity for us to come together. If you're not comfortable with how to share the gospel, um, this will be a great opportunity for us to learn. So be on the lookout for that. We're going to get that started um, sooner rather than later. So that is also part of the operation of the church. That is how we encourage one another. 
And so with that, I just want you to understand as we have looked at this, looked at this passage, I want you to understand why I have chosen the motto growing together in Christ for this church, because that's exactly what we ought to be doing. Week in and week out, we are growing together, together as a body, together as a unity, together, working together. And when you have problems, when we have problems, the first people that we ought to feel like we can go to are people here within this family, people here within this church. You can come to me, you can come to one of the deacons, come to one of the teachers that are here, one of your fellow saints. But that becomes much easier once you spend more time with them, once you become more comfortable with them, which is why I'm always encouraging you, spend more time with each other. Get to know one another. Have coffee with each other. Have lunch. Swing by the church. Come and talk to me, you know, which some of you do. You know, Brett Hauser is in my office every single week. And um, sometimes we get into these little theological debates. It's a lot of fun. But it's good. You know, these are kind of things that we want to be able to do. We want to get together and we want to be able to talk about the things of God. And at the end of the day, be able to pray for one another and and to be able to lift up one another and to be strengthened in the body through one another. That is the will of God for us. That is the will of Jesus Christ for the church. And that is why he has given you the gifts that he has given you and why he has supplied men such as myself and the other pastors and and teachers and, and, uh, and whatnot here in this church. So let's give thanks to God for these things. And if you are here this morning and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, let me just encourage you that the church here is the church of those who believe. And if you do not believe, it's not a hard matter to become a believer. You see, if you understand your sinfulness, if you understand that you stand condemned before God and you do, that was true for all of us because no one has ever lived a perfect life. We have all proven to be sinners from the time we were born up until now. And so I would encourage you, I would encourage you, if you have not put your faith into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, do so now. Because Jesus Christ came to die on the cross, that he would pay for the sins of those who would put their faith into him. And to put your faith into Jesus Christ, it not only means that you believe what he did for you on the cross, but now you are making a commitment to turn away from your prior manner of life and to follow him. To become a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is what the rest of the church is. And so I would urge you even now to consider your spiritual state. And if you're feeling this pull, if you're feeling this need to confess your sins before a holy God, to be forgiven of your sins and to have new life, then please do so. There's nothing stopping you. You can do it even now, even in your prayers. But you can talk to myself, talk to one of the deacons. In fact, deacons and your wives, will you please stand up for just a moment? deacons and your wives stand up just look around you can talk to myself talk to any one of these men or women thank you very much talk to any one of these men or women but do not leave without addressing your spiritual need but salvation is just a matter of believing you don't work for it you don't earn it you simply recognize that jesus christ did all the work for you on the cross you just need to confess him as lord and savior and repent of your sins and turn towards him and you will be saved Let's pray.